Hey, good morning, everybody. How are we doing? My name's Dylan. I'm the student director here at South Park. Uh, so glad that you guys are with us this morning. If it's your first time here, we would love to know that you're here. You can meet us at Connection Point, or if you're joining us on New City Live, you can always go to newcity.us connect, and we would love to know that you're joining us there as well. A couple of things going on in church that we'd want you to know about. Um, again, if you're new, uh, Conveniently, today at 11 o'clock, we have Next Step, and Next Step is a great time um, and a great place for you to come. You get to interact with some staff members, learn a little bit more about church, what it means to be a part of the New City family, how you can get connected. If you have any interest at all, we would love for you to be there. Um, you just walk out the, the back doors here, turn left down that hallway, and you'll see a clear signage for, for the room where Next Step is. Um, we'd love to have you with, there with us. The second thing is uh, some awesome news. Um, our our uh, project that we do with some of our partner schools, School Spirit, is, is back on and it's going to be in person this year. And so we're, we're gearing up for a book fair and we help out um, Idlewild Elementary and Greenway Park Elementary. And, and a huge part of, of how you can help us with that are two ways. You can give and, and help us um, have the funds to buy the books to... to um, you know, put, help put on this book fair for students to have for the summer to help them keep up their, with their reading. And the second way you can help is by uh, um, helping prep for the book fair and coming and setting it up and volunteering at it. Uh, we would love to have you, you know, you know help out in, in either of those. You can go to newcity.us slash school spirit, both to give and to sign up to volunteer. Third thing coming up this week is an event that we're having called Design. And this event design is about discovering, um, oh boy, Tammy, <laughs> uh, des design, discovering your, uh, let me read it. <laughs> this was added in last minute. I don't want to, I want to do Tammy right here. Uh, discovering solid direction in a drifting world. So if you are wanting to be challenged in figuring out how you can um, live your life with purpose and, and um, how God wants you to live um, on mission wherever you're at. We'd love to have you come this Wednesday night at 6.30. Uh, there will be child care provided for this, so you can go to newcity.us events to sign up for the event, to sign up for child care. We'd love to have you join us for that. Lastly, um, we're, we're so grateful again for your generosity and how uh, you, you help us fulfill what we are trying to do as a church to help people find and follow Jesus. Thank you so much for that. If you wanna give this morning, um, you can always do that online. You can do that in person. You can text the number on the screen um, behind me here. Um, but we are so grateful for the way you help us um, be the church and, and, and be generous in our city and world. Uh, with that in mind, would you pray with me for our offering? Father, Son, and Spirit, we are so grateful for this morning, and Lord, as we, we um, prepare an offering to give back to you, we, we ask that you would bless it and um, that you would use it, Lord, to, to help um, people find and follow you, Jesus. And uh, we ask that you would multiply it, that you would do with it that whatever you want to do with it, and um, we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. I have the privilege this morning of getting to read scripture with you all. So would you all stand for the reading of God's word? 
We'll be reading from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. I invite you to listen along. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse their sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in these, uh, the things these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light, for this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. The word of God to you today. You may be seated. Good morning. My name is Gabe Smith. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is my privilege and joy uh, to get to unpack God's word with you this morning. And as I was studying uh, this passage this week, I, I had a special helper. Um, he was my, my theologian in resident, and I want to introduce him to you this morning. He's, he's a member of my family. His name is Bulky, which is an a Afrikaans name. We spent about six years in South Africa uh, before we moved back to the States in 2017. He's a 12-pound toy poodle and, and not the obvious candidate to help me study for a passage. Um, but as I was reflecting on our text this, this morning, uh, I realized there was a story here. You see, when we moved into our new house, there's no fence for Bulky, and he's, he's prone to wander, as, as many of his kind are. Um, and so we decided to install an electric fence in our yard to keep our furry friend from, from wandering away. And, and if you're not familiar with an electric fence, it's a system where you bury a, a cable in the ground at a boundary line and a small electric current runs through that cable. And then they give you this special collar that your dog learns to love and you put it on him. And what happens is uh, every time he gets near the boundary, it, it buzzes just slightly. 
and just kind of gives them this indication, hey, you're getting close to the boundary, danger is near. And then if he goes across the boundary, it actually gives him a, a small electric shock for about 30 seconds just to go, hey, you're outside of the boundary line. And um, the reality was installing this fence and putting the car on the dog, that was the easy part, right? The hard part was, was training Balky to learn where this boundary line was. Uh, and that hard work took, a, took us about a month. And, and I learned so much about how my, my little friend thinks in this process and actually how I think as well. You see, dogs focus their attention on something they want, an object of their desire. And, and then what happens is they forget everything else to pursue this object of their desire. They just get tunnel vision and focus in. And we learned this the hard way. After a couple of weeks of training, we opened the front door thinking he's learned it. He's good. He knows where the line is. He's felt the shock the whole bit. Um, and so we opened the door and we let Bulky go free. And a neighbor happened to be walking his dog right, right by the house. And so what, what happened? Of course, Bulky locked eyes with his newfound friend and, and he just, in that moment, he forgot all of his training. He forgot the boundary. He forgot who I was. He forgot the pain of getting shocked. And he just took off. And, and he didn't even think, and he crossed that boundary line. And of course, he did get shocked, but it was too late because he was already out in the road where he was fortunate not to get hit by a car. You see, Bulky doesn't love the fence, but we love him. Um, we, we bought this house with a big yard with, with trees and bushes so that he would have this amazing place to play and to live out his purpose as a dog. And, and, and we installed a fence because the rest of the neighborhood doesn't love Bulky as much as we do. <laughs> and also because it's not safe for him beyond the boundary that we set. You know, we love our dog a lot. But... This is what I want you to hear this morning is that God loves you a whole lot more. And, and last week, we, we learned that God loves you so much that, that he left the comfort of heaven, that he left his place and he, he set out on the greatest rescue mission ever undertaken in the history of the world. And, and he came and he lived this perfect life and he, and he showed us what living within God's boundaries actually looks like. And, and then not only that, he knew that we couldn't live within those boundaries. He knew we were going to mess up. He knew we were going to be just like Bulky, that we were going to fixate on objects of our desire. And even after we had met him, even after we had experienced him, we would dart out into the road and that that wouldn't be good enough for God. And, and so he came and he died the death that we deserve to die. But he didn't stay dead. Last week we celebrated that he rose from the grave and that he lives and that he sits on the right hand of God today. He is alive. And so because he's alive, we will also live. And, and the bottom line last week is that Jesus is the only one that you should trust to save you from the grave. And, and I think a, a lot of us camp on that as Christians, right? Uh, we're like, yeah, I don't have to worry about death. I know where I'm going. I have that assurance and I have that hope and I celebrate that every Easter. And then how many of us, and I, I would count myself in this number, uh, realize that, celebrate that, and, and then move quickly beyond that to just go about living life the way I want to live life. So, so here's what I want us to look at this week is this truth that not only can we trust Jesus to save us from the grave, but also that he is the only one that we should trust to lead us in our life 
as well. Uh, and that might seem quite obvious, of course. We can trust Jesus. Um, he, he's the Lord. But we so often do not live that way. The question for you this morning is, who are you trusting to lead you in your life? If you're really honest, if you're really honest, like, like that moment when you're laying in bed at night and there's no more voices and it's just you with yourself and your thoughts and you're staring at the ceiling, in that moment, like, who are you actually trusting if you're really, really honest? Well, it's, it's, it's a harder question than it seems because there's so many alternatives to trusting Jesus to lead us in our life, right? Um, the, the first one is that we are so prone to trusting who? Ourselves. We're so prone to trust ourselves. And we live in a culture that says trusting yourself, trusting your own heart, that's the way to go. Um, you know, we hear in a postmodern uh, and increasingly post-Christian culture this idea uh, that you have your truth, your truth, um, well, I want to read, there's this quote from, uh, I found in the Huffington Post that I thought captured sort of this idea in our culture that, that we should really just trust ourselves. And this, this person who wrote it has all the titles, transformational coach, clinical hypnotherapist, counselor, someone really trained in understanding the human psyche. And she says this, she says, your heart speaks the truth. It's as simple and sacred as this. No one knows your heart better than you do. Your heart speaks to you every day in the language of love. It speaks to you with kindness and hope. It never speaks of fear and doubt. It will never betray you. Your heart honors you. And when you listen to the guidance of your heart, your peace and happiness is restored. And, and boy, if I put that with a nice soundtrack with like some waves crashing, we would all, like, right? We would be tempted like, whoa, that sounds so great that my heart speaks the truth. It's great lyrics for a song. I don't know about you guys, but my, my heart does not often speak to me in kindness and love. My, my heart, the voice in my head is often my worst critic. It's often the voice of shame, actually. My heart is not kind to me. My heart does not speak the truth to me. My heart wavers and is never sure and the same in its truth. The reality, my friends, is that we cannot listen to the guidance of our heart because the scriptures teach us the exact opposite is true. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? And you might say, Gabe, you know, my heart's not wicked. I mean, I might not be the best, but I'm not wicked. But here's, here's the thing. Is, is given the right set of circumstances, given the right opportunities, and given the right fixation on the right desire, guess what? We, we, we can all be bent towards evil things. We can all run after things that will destroy us and will kill us. So the alternative to trusting Jesus to lead us in our life is, is to lead ourselves, and we see that that is a faulty and dangerous way to go. The second thing that we could trust is, is the world or the culture around us. And this is just so easy because in, in our day and age, we have the cell phone, right? We can get lots of voices right here on our phone. And, and we can listen to voices of celebrities and, and people that we idolize and look up to and, and maybe politicians and people that think politically the way that we do. And so there's all these voices in the world and the culture around us. But here's the problem is that they're in conflict with, with each other. They're constantly changing. And guess what? Their bottom line is they're trusting themselves as well. 
And so we can't trust the world or our culture. We can't trust ourselves. Uh, the, the reality is that it's quite dangerous um, to allow anyone except for Jesus to lead us in our life. And I like the way that Philip Brooks put it. He said this. He said, the great danger facing all of us, let me say it again, for one feels it tremendously, is not that we shall make an absolute failure of life, nor that we shall fall into outright viciousness, nor that we shall be terribly unhappy, nor that we shall feel that life has no meaning at all. Not these things. The danger is that we may fail to perceive life's greatest meaning, fall short of its highest good, miss its deepest and most abiding happiness, be unable to render the most needed service, be unconscious of life ablaze with the light of the presence of God, and be content to have it so. That is the danger. That someday we may wake up and find that we have been busy with the husk and trappings of life and have really missed life itself. For life without God, to one who has known the richness and joy of life with him, is unthinkable, impossible, That is what one prays one's friends may be spared. Satisfaction with a life that falls short of the best, that has in it no tingle and thrill, which comes from a friendship with the Father. And and as I was praying for this message, as I was praying for for you and for myself, this was my prayer is that uh, we wouldn't live this mediocre life this just sort of half-hearted Christianity where we've seen the resurrection, where we believe it, where we trust that, you know, when we die, we're going to go to a better place, but that really we go about living our life on our own terms. And, and, and the danger of that it isn't that we just become evil despots, but that we miss out on the life that is truly life. What a shame that would be when what's offered to us is a life with a thrill which comes from the friendship with the Father who loves you. You see, friends, you were made to live awake and alive. And so that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. That's what the Apostle Paul wants to talk to us about this morning in our passage. And, and just, to, just to remind us as we're, as we're getting into the text here, you know, the book of Ephesians has two parts. The first parts, chapters one through three, tells us who God is and, and what we've received from him that you know, we, we believe in him by faith and that what we receive is, is our salvation through grace alone. And then in chapters four through six, the second movement, the question is, how should we live? What does that mean for our lives? And that's where we find ourselves in chapter five, is what does it mean that we've received this amazing gift of being saved from the grave? But how then should we live as a result of that? Well, if we look at uh, the first point is that how we live flows from who we are. How we live flows from who we are. And in the first few verses of this chapter, there's some very important things that I want to highlight um, about who you are. And I really want you to take this in. Like, ask yourself, do you really believe this about yourself? Verses one and two, that you are a dearly loved child of God. You are a dearly loved child of God. Do you believe that about yourself? I I can tell you that quite often I don't believe that about myself. I operate out of a different truth, but that is the truth, that we are dearly loved children. Secondly, we are his people. In verse three, that we are actually saints. Have you ever thought about yourself that way? Um, Not just that you're individually God's son or God's daughter, 
that he looks at and he smiles at, that he's pleased with, but also that you're part of this community of saints, that, that you're a new people, that we are a new people, um, that God's drawing unto himself to love him and to worship him and to carry his light into the world, which brings us to the third thing about who we are is that we are light in the Lord, Ephesians 5, 8. We are light. And that's so important, that small word, that you are light, not just that you have light, right? Because often we think, we think we have light, I have truth. I know something that's true and I can, I can pass that off and that's the important thing. But it's actually much more profound than that, that because of what Jesus has done, that because he died in your place, because he was raised again, you were called a beloved child. Because he died, you were a saint. And because he died, that you are light. You see, friends, Jesus is the only one who we should trust to lead us in our life. Well, why is it so hard then? Why is it so hard? If all that is true, if, if God loves us so, why is it so hard to, to actually follow him and trust him? Well, the scriptures tell us in verses three through seven um, that we live in a realm of darkness. And I wanna make an important point here is that when we begin to follow Jesus, the call, right? And Paul uses this earlier in, in Ephesians. He says, you know, you were called out of darkness and into light. And that call is actually like the voice of Jesus calling you out of the grave, right? It's a call from, from death into life. And in this passage, we understand that to be darkness into light, okay? And there's an important theme here in that that's not a move of degrees. That's, that's not like a little tweaking that you need to make in your, in your life, though that's the way I think we often think of it. Like, like I'm starting to follow Jesus and I, I just need to make some adjustments. I'm just slightly off course and if I just modify my behavior just a little bit, if I just stop doing a few of these wrong things and start doing a few right things, then I'll be on track. But it's actually much more profound than that because it's actually a move in realms. It's a move from a realm of darkness where you're shrouded in darkness, where you're dead, where you can't see a thing about yourself or about the world, about who God is. And that when you trust Jesus in that moment, what happens is that you're invited into a new realm, a new kingdom. But the problem is that we still live in the world, this side of eternity. And so the darkness is, is pervasive in several ways. That there's darkness first where? Um, still in our own hearts, right? We're prone to, even though we've been given light, he's illuminated us, but we're drawn to darkness. We're still drawn to evil things in our own heart. But secondly, our culture, the context around us is full of darkness. And just like if you go back to my metaphor, the dog in the, in the yard, right? Bulky, he, he's made to live in this glorious space of our, of our yard. And there's this fence line that says, don't go past here, past here, it's, it's dangerous. Past here, it's death for you. And, and on that other side, that's, that's darkness for us. And so there's this pervasive darkness that is all around us. And, and just like Bulky, we're drawn to it. We're drawn to it. Even after we meet Jesus, we're like, I see something, I want something, and I'm gonna run after something. You know, it's important to understand uh, what darkness is, what sin is, and I don't think we talk about this quite enough because sin and darkness are incredibly dangerous to us. You see, God, I don't know if you're familiar with this word, shalom. Shalom is, is Hebrew, and it, it means peace. 
It means that, that God has, has made us to live in peace with him, that one day he's gonna remake the whole world and that the whole world will be in shalom with him and with one another. And so what happens when we sin, when we move towards darkness instead of light, we actually do vandalism to shalom. You see, God's joined some things together and, and when we sin, we pull those things apart and God separated other things and we wanna join those things together. And so we wanna undo God's goodness in the darkness. Well, in our text, uh, Paul points out in an uncomfortable way, a few sins particularly that characterize this darkness. And I wanna talk about those for a moment, even though it's uncomfortable. Um, it, it, he talks about in verses three through seven, first of all, he talks about sexual immorality, sexual immorality. Secondly, he talks about greed. Why does he point out these two particular sins? If you go to other passages in the scriptures, there's a much longer list of, of things that we should stay away from. But here he says, let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Well, the, in the context that Paul was writing in, these, these were particular sins of the culture that people were drawn to. And I think they're particular sins that we're drawn to as well. Um, because in Christian faith, again, remember, it's not degrees, it's moving in realms. And so we understand sin in, with regards to sexual immorality, not just being adultery, right? Not just having sex outside of marriage, but actually, if we think adulterous thoughts, if, if, if we look at another person, we lust after that person, the scriptures teach us that in our hearts, right, we've committed vandalism to shalom. We've actually violated God's law. We've actually crossed the, the boundary line already. And I think these particular sins hit us in, in such an uh, acute way because we, we all struggle with them. We struggle with lusting after other people who are not our wives or our husbands, um, we struggle with greed, and this is one we don't talk a lot about uh, in, our, in our culture. Money is good, right? Get as much as you can, spend as much as you can, um, take as much as you can, but not so among God's people is that greed should not be part of our community. And I want to look at a couple of things that tie sexual immorality and greed together. And the first thing is that both of these sins are focused on us, right? It's, it's focused on what I want, in, in that moment, um, you know, whether that's a sexual temptation or whether that's a material thing that I want, um, that's what those sins are all about. And so both of them in powerful ways and in, in, in a way that we feel like when you want something really bad, you feel that and it draws you away from the heart of God. It draws you away from the light. But the second thing is also that both of these sins also dehumanize other people. Is, is, that, is that when we give in to sexual temptation, what does that mean about how we're relating to other people in the community? Um, well, it means you're not relating to them as they are, as a son or a daughter of the king, as someone worthy of respect, someone whom Jesus died for, right? You're treating them as an object of desire. Um, and, and what does that do? That does vandalism to shalom, to the peace that, that God made us to live in. It destroys that and undoes it. And the same thing with greed. When we take too much, when we want too much, what does it do? 
We dehumanize others. Other people just become a way to get the things that we want. And neither one of those orientations to life are appropriate behaviors uh, in the household of God's people. Well, thirdly, he points out a, a third sin that if those first two don't get you, the third certainly will is he talks about speech that's tied to our heart. He says, obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes, these are not for you. Well, what are these things? It's, it's that out of this place of darkness in our heart, right, we speak, we speak words. And I don't know about you, but uh, I've thought about this idea that you only have so many words in life. Have you ever thought about that? You only have so many words. You don't know how many you have, but... They're certainly limited, and words are incredibly powerful. And in the household of God's people, um, our speech, right, ought to come out of a place of light and love, that we are made to speak words to one another that draw us to light, that draw us to Christ, that remind one another of who we are in him, and not the kind of speech that degrades and, again, does vandalism to shalom, to this peace um, that God made us to live in. Well, we're all tempted towards these things in many ways. And, and for today, I just want us to sit with that reality that that's not okay. It's not okay if you've trusted Jesus. If you said, I, I, I believe in him, that he's my Lord. It's, it's, it's not okay to go about living this way. Um, we have to live differently. And so the place that we start that, that life is a choice. God's given us the power. He's given us his presence. He's given us his Holy Spirit but we're gonna be tempted. This week, you're gonna be tempted towards one of these three things. Like this isn't a far off thing that you can deal with next year. This is this afternoon. This is tomorrow morning. You, you, you and I are gonna struggle with these things and, and you're gonna see something out in the road and you're gonna to wanna to dart toward it. But Paul here says, don't do that. What does he say instead? He says, instead, be thankful, have gratitude that that's the remedy what in the world, how is gratitude a remedy for us moving away from evil and living in a way that's pleasing to the Lord? Well, I think it's simply, there's probably a lot we could say, but at least we could say that gratitude and a focus on myself can't happen at the same time. That when I have gratitude, I naturally focus on others. And so in the community of God's people, um, we ought to live a life of gratitude and thanksgiving and looking for the blessings that God's giving us. And in so doing, we keep our hearts um, away from darkness that we're tempted toward. Well, God doesn't leave us there. Paul doesn't leave us there. Um, we're gonna leave behind these practices that no longer belong to us, verses three through seven. But he encourages us that we're to also live as people of the light, verses eight through 14. And this is nothing short of a miracle. Um, that the light of Christ, which catch this for a moment, the light, the power that raised Jesus from the grave, right, that gave a dead body new life, that is the light that you've been given, and that light does a few different things. First of all, verse 9, that light produces something. It produces fruit. It produces what is good and right and true. In other words, you don't have to depend on yourself and your own thoughts. You don't have to depend on your culture you have the light of Christ, um, the truth of the world, what is right and what is good, and, and light produces that. And so when we intentionally move away from darkness and embrace light that we're given, um, it produces good things in us. And imagine what that looks like in a community of, of different people seeking that. 
Can you imagine what that would look like in our church if we were a community uh, where we were moving toward light and what was being produced in us was good and right and true? That would be amazing. The second thing light does is it exposes darkness, verse 11, is that naturally, right, darkness is just the absence of light. So wherever light goes, it exposes things that are hiding in the darkness. And so we shouldn't be afraid of the light in our own lives to expose the darkness in our own life, or as we move in the world to expose the darkness of the world. And thirdly, and most importantly, light transforms things that it touches. The light transforms what it touches, verses 13 and 14. And this is where I want to end. And and I, I think for me, this is the most powerful image in this whole passage. And 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 by the way, I, I think we're lacking in imagination, right? Um, we, we don't often think of the scriptures visually enough, I think, and we're so invited to see a picture here that I've found quite compelling. That's verse 14, which is, they think this is a hymn um, that says, awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Now, hear this. I think this is an invitation to imagine your own resurrection, that you are the one in the grave, that you are the one who's dead, that you are the one wrapped in in death clothes, rotting without life, without light. And then can you imagine the image of of all of a sudden the the stone rolled away and, and you're in the tomb and the face of Jesus looking at you, right? This was reality for Lazarus, but I think this is reality for, for all of us. And And Jesus says, awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and and he gives you his light, which is his presence. Can you imagine, just for a moment, that if you've trusted Jesus, that's your reality, that that you've met the living, resurrected Lord, that you've seen the glory of his face and his countenance, and that while you were dead, while you were asleep, while you were depending on yourself, while you were looking to the world, and while you were confused, in the way that you were living your life, that he came and he met you there, not because you did something good, but just simply because he chose you before the foundations of the earth, and he spoke over you, awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead. Can you imagine? That is why it is worth following Jesus in your life, because he has overcome death, and because he's called you to wake up and to live in light of the resurrection life, And I want you to imagine in that moment, as the light of Christ shone on you, what would that produce in you in that moment? What would it expose in you? What would it transform in you? And I want us to sit with that um, as we close today. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the firstborn among the dead. Lord, we thank you that while we were yet sinners, you came and, and you died for us. Lord, we thank you that your light shines on us. And so, so Lord, we hold out our hands and, and Lord, we just ask that you would produce in us goodness and truth, Lord, and rightness. Lord, we ask that you would expose the evil in our hearts, that we would not be left to our own devices, but Lord, that you would come and meet us and you would expose the places where we still have not yet started to follow you that we might have life and have it to the full. Lord, we pray that you would transform us by your presence and your light. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Amen. Will you stand as we respond together? But he brought me and oh, his love for me. Oh, his love for me. Who the sun sets free, oh, is free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I His grace runs deep While I was a slave to sin Jesus died for me Yes, He died for me The sun sets free Oh, it's free indeed I'm a child of God Yes, I want to invite you to imagine the ways in which you're trusting in something besides Jesus to live your life. Maybe that's yourself. Maybe that's the world around you. But I want you to imagine 
giving that to the Lord and instead receiving what he says about you, that you are a child of the living God, that you are his son, his daughter. And so I pray, dear friends, that you would receive that truth today and that you would go in peace to love and serve the Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen.